Colossians 2, I'm sorry. And uh, we're going to continue looking this morning at, a, at, at the satanic strategies and in uh, real time is, is what I've uh, been looking at and had kind of titled this within the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul has laid out here for us real time, real indicators, how you know what's going on, how you think about this and look at it so that you're not carried away and tossed to and fro and that you're able to have the stability. Uh, verse 1, if you will, we'll just start reading. The Apostle Paul says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts. And here's the great conflict that he has. And again, I'll remind you, take out Laodicea. Put your name in there. If you haven't seen Paul in the flesh, you know, we think we do in little pictures and stuff, but you haven't, so he's talking to you. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Boy, isn't that wonderful that he would, he's looking, he wants you to have the full assurance of understanding, but not just have, but have the riches of the full. Have it, man, be wealthy to you to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul lays out in this book of correction here, he lays out this great issue of, of what's heavy on his heart. I want you guys to understand that there's an attack coming. Verse 4, and this I say, because of my, what I want you to have that full assurance of riches of, the acknowledgement of, and have that spiritual maturity. This I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And I'll, again, I'll remind you, Paul says, we're not to be ignorant of the adversary's devices, 1 Corinthians 2. We're to know how he operates, how he functions. And he says, I, I want you to understand, well, first of all, the adversary is a created being. He's not a god. He can't be everywhere. So he's using what? Men, lest any man should beguile you. Doctrines of men. If someone comes along, the sliding, cunning craftiness of men, Ephesians 4. You've got to pay attention to that. And, and really it gets on, anyway, he keeps going. For though I be absent, actually the beguilement, you with what kind of words? Enticing words. Enticing. That promise of a physical delight coming your way. A healthy and wealthy. If you just send me $1,000, God will bless you with 10000 Really? Why don't you send me 10000 so you'll get 100000 then, you know? And it doesn't work that way now, does it? Okay? I knew a gentleman back in Chicago at, the, at Shorewood there at the church. He actually did that. He called up one of the guys and said, I tell you what, why don't you give me the million? God will bless you with the $10 million you're trying to raise. And he never saw the check. Why? Because they know it doesn't work. But what is that? That's enticing. It makes you feel good, doesn't it? For though I be absent, verse 5, in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. 
As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So Paul, beware. Hey, there's trouble coming. There's an enticement that's going to come your way. And that enticement is going to get you to move away and to not listen to the message or the messenger. But I'm exhorting you, verse 5, 6, and 7, you need to stand where you know where you're supposed to stand. Behold, steadfastness, beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith where? In Christ. The adversary knows he can't get you out of Christ, so what does he want you to do? He wants to get you out of the message, and he wants to get you away from the messengers of that message. And so he attacks. And Paul's telling us here that everything, you're rooted and built up where? In him. Not in a religious system, not in a denomination, not in an organization, but in him. So then what are we looking for? We're looking for him. That's, what we're look, that's where our eyes of faith, the adversary is going to come along and he's going to take away the advantages that we have in Christ so you won't live in Christ. So you're going to go and you're going to walk in the, the fruit of your own labor rather than in the fruit of his labor working in you. So he starts, verse 8, and this is the verse for today because it's a big verse. Beware. Do you think this is important to Paul? Beware. They're going to beguile you. Pay attention. Wake up. You know, hey, hey, you ever have a kid that just would never get up in the morning and you go in there and wake them up? Maybe your husband. Wake them up. Or your wife. Wake them up. You know, I did with Linda this morning. I had to, it's time to get up. Oh, I don't want to. Get up. You know, wake, wake them up. Beware, wake up. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Here's how the adversary is going to move. Notice, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy through and then he says after the traditions and after the rudiments so you've got philosophy and vain deceit and rudiments and traditions and the problem again is that you're not after Christ see how he's dragging you away from who you are in Christ he's dragging you away from they don't want to establish Christ in you so they're moving you away so what we're going to see in verse 8 here really is the method of how the adversary is going to do this and then how that impacts and the, how the vehicle is going to is going to become how he's going to do it he's going to use philosophy and vain deceit and then the method of the doing is the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world but just know come over to second timothy 2 just to, just to catch a, 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 an idea here because here's what the adversary is after Here's all he's trying to do to you in your daily walk. He, folks, listen, he knows that you, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, you are saved, sealed, sanctified. You are in with the door shut, locked, keys thrown away. You're never losing it. But he also knows that there's a life that, you are, that God has given you to live, that if he can cause you to not live that life, then he's causing you not to impact others so we keep the party small rather than large 
Look at Luke, uh, 2 Timothy, Luke. <laughs> That's on my brain. Look, look, look at Luke 2. You start there in ver uh, 2 Timothy. If I say Luke, just look at the overhead, okay? <laughs> or your handout. 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them the repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. If he's asking them to give repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and they're opposing themselves, we're talking about believers here, aren't we? We're talking about people who are departing from the faith. Now watch verse 26. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him, the devil, at his, the devil's will. The devil, the snare of the devil, his will is to take you captive, to set a trap so that you can't get away and cause you to move away from the truth, to cause you to move to error. And he says, you have to recover yourself from that. And the servant of the Lord is to come in and to keep that in front of you. You see, our job, we're learning in Romans 14, our job is never to accelerate the edification process of anyone. That's not our job. But our job is to keep the info in front of them. So when you come back to Colossians 2, how's he going to do this? What are the methods and the methodology he's going to use? Well, beware lest any man spoil you. By the way, spoil, war, the spoils of war. This isn't, this isn't a run-in with your neighbor. This is World War III with everything on the battle line. Everything's on play. Everything's in play. Everything is going. And the onslaught, you think about today in technology. I was reading an encyclopedia, Britannica from the 60s, and I went to look up Starlink. It ain't there. Why? 60s, it didn't exist, but it does now. The onslaught of information that's pounding you, and he's like, I'm going to pound you. I'm going to nail, I'm going to bulwark you. I'm going to pop you. I'm going to just pound and pound and pound and pound until a crack is formed. And then when that cracks form, I'm going to flood it. And all I'm trying to do is get you to get move away from who you are in Christ. And I'm going to do that through philosophy, through vain deceit. Think about that. Here's the, here's the, 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 the method here. Think about philosophy. To love wisdom, you know? Come, back, come over with me to, just real quick, Proverbs 18. I know it's not on the overhead, and you'll have to forgive me for bouncing away. Proverbs 18. You think about philosophy. Human viewpoint is what he's talking about here. In philosophy, you develop a system, a thinking process about life, what it's all about, and how to live life, and how to accomplish things of life. And it's designed to give you a world viewpoint. Proverbs 18, verse 1, though a man, I'm sorry, through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. 
Isn't that interesting? That's philosophy for you. You go in and you talk to the kids that go to the school of philosophy, and you ask them, you ought to in, you ought to in, in, <laughs> interrogate them, and interview them, don't interrogate them, interview them. And you know what they got? They've got Romans 1 nailed. There is no God. We don't like to retain God. We're our God. And that's a development of a philosophy. It's a development of a, of a system of thinking and processing about what life is all about. Back to Colossians 2, verse 8. You've got vain deceit, van, vanity, empty, deceit. Del, it's delusionary. So you have a system of thinking about life that is coupled with empty delusions. How many of you think you're going to win the Powerball, 1.6 billion or whatever? Hey, me too, man. Problem is, is you got to do what? Go down to the little machine and play, right? But you know what? And, and haven't we all, and don't say you haven't, because then you are a liar. We've all thought about what would we do with $750 million, which is half of whatever it is, okay? You know, you've already bought everybody you know a, 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 a big, nice car. And, you, and what do you, well, this and that. But you know that if you had that much money, you know how miserable your life would be? It would just be, now, I would like to try that, okay? So if you have the winning ticket, you can just sign it over to me. That's fine. Why? You know, what, what did they say? What did, uh, somebody said, I've been rich, I've been poor. Richer's better. Okay. Okay, all right, so there you go. I knew Paul would know. But see, the thing is, is that's vain deceit. It's emptiness. It's a delusion. Then he says, so the vehicle to produce the philosophy and the vain deceit is after the traditions of men and after the rudiments of the world. So this passage is heavy here. And we're going to try to nail it in one day, one, one session here. Because you can spend forever talking about philosophy, can't you? You can spend forever talking about the traditions of men. And we're going to just look, go to Romans 1. We're just going to look at a few things and just show you, just so you see, the adversary is not using conspiracy here. He's using philosophy. He's not using big, broad, big. He's just using a way of thinking. Look at Romans 1. And again, the whole gist of it is to snare you and to take you away from who you are in Christ. That's the whole goal. Romans 1, verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them, how did he do this? For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even by his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. How, how often do we hear nonsense out there about creation? In the beginning, God created. That ended the story. That ends the discussion. But if you don't believe the word of God, now we're going to No, the discussion has been ended, Genesis 1.1. But yet, what does philosophy do? Whole realms of thinking processes are built on that. Keep reading. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God, 
They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Think about that. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed beasts and the creeping things. What did man do? Man knows God. It's built into their DNA to know that there is a God. That's what 19 and 20 are telling you. Okay? What are they trying to do? Get around him. They don't want to stand in judgment of him. They don't want to, verse 20 Eight says, and when they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They don't want there to be someone telling them what to do. So what did they do? They went and developed a philosophy. We call it religion. Man-made religion. God gave one religion to man. He gave it to the nation of Israel. He gave it through covenants. They went over and polluted it with traditions of men. They messed it up. What does he say here? Professing themselves to be wise. Think about that. <laughs> I have a friend of mine, he likes to profess himself to be wise from time to time. Problem is, is he's a fool most of the time. <laughs> you know the verse in Psalms, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What does a fool do? He's got a way of thinking. He's developed his own system of thinking. A fool. He doesn't have, he doesn't know the real answer to the problem. Do you know what the problem today? You want to stop sh the shootings and all this, the, just the craziness. Just right over here, two streets down here, there's a Airbnb. There was a major shooting over there the other night. You want to stop that? Gun control won't stop that. Heart control deals with that the sinful heart is the is where we're going to go and who answered that question already for us calvary does but if you go talk to them about calvary you're the bad guy you know it's, it's just why because the system has been turned upside down verse 23 where it leads is to the religious system Verse 25 is the ultimate of it, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. When you look at philosophy and you think about philosophy, it's just a system of thinking that takes the truth of God, turns it into a lie, promotes the creature. Why? Because don't you know you're the man? And you're it. And you're that for your life. Do you remember a guy in the book named Job? And he's got three friends. You ever wonder why he only had three friends and not four? Why he only had three and not two? Because when you think about this issue of philosophy, you see Job's three friends in, the, in philosophy, you see the, the philosophy, realism, materialism. And that has the idea that there's some validity because of reality. We experienced it, so it was real. That's the big issue, experience, realism. Then you have pragmatism. And that is, is that 
it's good if it works. So because the teachers and the scholarship say it's working and it's working, then it's good. Then you have idealism because it's a good idea. That's what, that's what religion produces is idealism. C- come over to Job 4. It's very fascinating when I look at that subject of philosophy. It's a big one. And then you look at these guys. Look at Job 4. Just catch these guys real quick. And you think about idealism. It's because of the good idea. There, it's, that's what's behind it. it. It really worked because it was such a good idea. That's where the moralists live. That's where the religionists live. Look at Job 4, verse 1. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered and said. So here's Eliphaz. Now look down at verse 7. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished, being innocent. I'm sorry, whoever perished, being innocent. Or were, where were the righteous cut off? Notice the questions. Even as I have seen, they have plow, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. There's realism. There's the law of the harvest. Because you did this, you're reaping it, baby. And that's where they are. That's where this, every time Elphaz talks and he interacts with Job, it's from a realism point of view, materialism, law of the harvest. I have seen it. That's why it's good to go. You come over to chapter 5 and verse 3. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his habitation. Why? I see it. I can feel it. I can experience it. So it's real. Come over to Job 8. Job 8. Here's Bildad, the Shuhite. I guess he beats the, the guy that slept on his watch, being the smallest guy, or... Joseph, the son of Nun, you know, here's Bildad the Shuhite. How high is he? Just a Shuhite. Verse 1, then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, How long wilt thou speak these things? Drop down to verse 8, just quickly. For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers. Here's that issue of pragmatism, where now we're going to go look at the scholars. What did the fathers say? What do the what do the teachers bellow about this? What did they say about it? And there he is, a body of tradition, scholarship that teaches us. And you know what? It works. It works because the teacher said it worked. Look at the history. Look at the history. And you read you read that in verse eight, nine, ten, and eleven. Come over to Job eleven, chapter eleven. And I'm going quickly just so you catch a taste of it, okay? Job, Job 11.1, 1, then answered Zophar, the, the Namathite, and said, so here's Zophar, he's going to read, Job, verse 2, should not the multitude of, the, of words be answered, and should a man full of talk be justified? Job, you're a big blowhard. You've just been running, you're just a big blowhard here, Job. Verse 3, should thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou make, uh, mockest, shall not man make thee ashamed? For thou hast said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. But, oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee. There's the idealism. You're full of lies, Job. And you know what he does? 
He goes moralist on them. He goes religion on them. You just keep, canst thou, verse 7, canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty under perfection? You know what? That is, that is, those questions are foolish questions because Job already knows the answer, and the answer is yes. I know this. Now, look over at Job 32 because there's a fourth guy in Job, just FYI. Job 32. Verse 2, then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barachel. Verse 3, also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Oh, Elihu steps up. He's mad. Why? Because the the three philosophy ideas weren't working. And all they did was condemn Job. See that? They didn't help. So chapter 38, what's God say when he shows up? 38.1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by the words without knowledge? Boy, what an estimation on philosophy. Darkened counsel. It's hiding the truth, Job. Chapter 42, just FYI, verse 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Elphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Boy, he just nailed them. He didn't hold. You know why? Because what's in philosophy? A, a vain thinking system? That goes against encounters, against, come on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Stop in chapter 1. It goes against the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I mean, you think about how does the adversary, he's not out here saying 1 plus 1 ain't 2. He's saying, are you sure it's 1 plus 1? We have a great discussion from time to time in a jesting manner that water is not wet, but water makes everything wet. I had that conversation with a bunch of teenagers. Yeah, well, it was like, your head spins. Especially when they all take three different opinions in different directions. And it's a great discussion. We have a lot of fun with it, and at the end, I'm always right. So, you know, (laughs) water's wet. But, see, there you go. Now you go, well, that's what you do when you're dad, right? (laughs) Look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolish, foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Where is the philosophers at? Where is the big thinkers at? What are they, what are they all arguing about? you get online today, you find out that they're arguing about some pretty stupid stuff. Is the flat earth. What? You know that's been debunked over the centuries? By the way, we're not going to get to Ecclesiastes, but Song of Solomon, I'm sorry, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. That means he's debunked that when he wrote Ecclesiastes. Okay, I'm just, all right. I look at that, I read that stuff, I see, I'm like, holy cow, man, don't you have something better to do? How about the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified? Far better. 
Where's the why? Verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, what? Knew not God. Isn't that interesting? He's going to use the world's wisdom against itself. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block unto the Greeks, the foolishness. Who are the Greeks? They're the great philosophers, aren't they? In, in, in Acts 17, we're not going to go over there. Paul goes up against the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans are the playboys. They're, they're the hedonists. They're whatever brings pleasure to your life, whatever feels good, let's go do it. The Stoics. They come in and they say, whatever's going on, they're fatalist. They say, whatever's happening, it's got to hurt. And it's got to really hurt. It just can't hurt a little bit. It's got to hurt bad, baby. And if it ain't hurting bad, it ain't real. And Paul goes in and he deals with them. Gets in there and answers them. And you know what he answers them with? Christ crucified. He answers them with the preaching of the cross. Chapter 2, verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not in the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. Where do we speak wisdom? We speak it in the hidden wisdom. We're not over here dabbling in philosophies. Now, by the way, let me just say this, okay? I am not against looking at all the stuff. I looked into the flat earth stuff when it popped up about 30 years ago. Okay? I look into different things that come up. When Paul says to Timothy, give thyself attendance to reading, that is more than reading three chapters a day. That is being well read. How do you think Paul understood how to answer the Epicureans and the Stoics? he was aware of what they believed and taught. But you can read stuff and not get hooked into it. And you can study it out to understand it. When I first moved here, back many years ago, many, many moons ago, and a younger, thinner man, I had never run into the Mormon church, the, the Latter-day Saints. I had never seen a Mormon. I couldn't tell you what they believed. Yay, nay. Then the two gentlemen showed up at the front door, and I was like, holy cow, where'd you come from? Because growing up in the city of Chicago, you know what we dealt with? Roman Catholics. A few Baptists here and there, and a few Je- Je- Jehovah's Witnesses, but we never saw very many Mormons. And you know what I had to do? I went to the library of the city of Mesa to do some research on the Mormon church, and you know what I found? Nothing. I had to go to Phoenix Library to find any information about the Mormon church that I was looking for. Well, do you know who runs the city of Mesa's library at the time? Okay, that's why you didn't find much, you know. So then what do you got? You got to get in, you got to do some research and study. And, you know, back then you didn't have Google or Internet. You're in the books. You're in the Encyclopedia Britannica, you know. Folks, be well read. I'm good with that. Just don't let it consume you. And for some of you, it might be better not to be well read and let it sit over there in somebody else's thinking and you be simple concerning the truth. Why? All right, I'm off base. Colossians 2. We've got to get back. Colossians 2. Paul here. Look, folks, 2.8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. 
through vain and vain deceit. You've got to catch what philosophy leads you to an empty delusion that never gets you anywhere to real answers for life. Think about Psalms 39. Man at his best state is vanity. Psalms 39. I'm going to read it because I didn't quote it right. Psalms 39 and verse 5. The end of the verse. Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. When you think you've got it all figured out and you're looking good, Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Wow! The best you can do will always fall short. You think about that. Philosophy, all philosophy is going to do is lead you to some empty delusions about something that you have no control over. When you think about philosophy and you go and read the book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon. You remember what Solomon asked God? God said, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? He goes, wisdom. He's the wisest man to ever walk the earth outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon goes after human wisdom. He spends the 12 chapters chasing down the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about the philosophy of man. Every, now listen to me, every philosophy, idea, and thought from Aristotle to all the bigwigs comes out of, is a plagiarism of, the book of Ecclesiastes. That's where it comes from. Solomon goes through them all. He goes through the Epicureans. The pragmatists, the agnostic, the naturalist, the uh, pantheism, the nihilism, the deism. He goes through them all. The Stoics, Aristotle's golden mean is in Ecclesiastes 7. You take Ecclesiastes, the first two chapters, you get realism, Job's first friend. You go into chapters 3 through 4, there's the pragmatic guy and then six to eight there's the idealism and you study that and you lay them out i've done it i've seen them but pay attention you, by the way you know what that means you got to spend a lot of endless in, in trying to understand aristotle and socrates oh my goodness it's like where's the cliff notes i got them get an idea why where did they come from that's not an original thought in those guys head it came right off the pages of the word of god You see, folks, the only answer is who? Christ. The vehicle he's going to use here is who? Philosophy and vain deceit. To get you to quit thinking about who? Christ. Get you to thinking about, well, you know what? I don't like that word, hell. So let's change it to Hades. You never heard anybody in their right, ever in their mind go, oh, Hades. So when the lost know what the word is, you ought to use the right word. Well, but we don't. It's offensive. Really? Good. Well, I don't want to tell people they're all going to be held accountable one day. 
Don't you know God loves everybody? Well, yeah, he loves everybody. He died for everybody. But that doesn't mean he's not a just God. So we're going to develop ideas and thoughts and theology because we don't we want to have a room full of people. That's philosophy and vain deceit. It's emptiness. All of these are are things of of philosophy. Think about sin. You ever think about the seven excuses of sin? You ought to sometime. No matter who you are. Excuse number one, everybody does it. We always have done it. A little bit doesn't hurt. My conscience doesn't bother me. We know where to quote the preacher. Ooh, yeah. You got to make a living. It really depends on how you look at, at all of it. All of those are applications of philosophy. You'll hear preachers say, depends on how you read the verse. You know that's a philosophy? I say it because it does depend on how you read the verse <laughs> sometimes. But it's a what? It's how you, your perception. It's not what the word says. What does he say? He says, hey, he's going to spoil you. And what he's going to do is he's going to use philosophy and vain deceit. And then he says, after the traditions of men. Here's how they're going to, to work in your life. Here's how philosophy and vain deceit is going to come up and be evident in your life. And you know what he says? He says he's going to use traditions of men. Now, come over to Galatians chapter 1. And just think about this. Again, not all traditions are bad, obviously. Paul tells the Thessalonians, I've given you traditions you ought to follow and so forth. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about traditions of men. Galatians 1, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, For ye have read, you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion. See how he says Jews' religion? Jews' philosophy. They had what? Mark 7, they've come in and they've taken the word of God and they've diluted it and polluted it with the traditions of the elders and the traditions of the fathers and they've made the word of none effect. And Paul says, I was sucked up into that system so far up in it that I may, I was... Well, above my many, many my equals in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. They said boo, and I, they said jump, and I said how high. They said do this, and I did it. You could leave Paul in the room with a $100 bill on the table, and it would sit there. You leave Rick in there, and it might not be there. But Paul never would have took it. Saul of Tarsus, let's say it right, okay? Saul of Tarsus. He'd have left it there. He's a, he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's a tribe of Benjamin. He's a Pharisee, man. He was a law keeper. And he says, I was sucked up into that religion. And I was a major leading component to my people being set aside. Romans 9, 10, and 11. And it breaks my heart that I was. And now I just want to get them saved. You see, the tradition of the fathers, all of that religious tradition. And you go take Mark 7, 
And you go read down through how the Lord just rips them. Because what have they done? They're tithing on the mint and the anise. They're tithing on the little things, the cumin seed. But they're missing the more weightier matters of the law. Why? Because they want to stand in the marketplace and say, see how righteous I am. And have the name and the titles called out. What has that done? What has the adversary done to the nation of Israel? He's moved them away. He's caused them to be not my people. That's why the Lord will look at that little flock and say, Fear not, little flock, it is your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. I came into my own, and my own received me not, but as many as did receive me. John 1. Um, to them, I'm going to give them the power to become the sons of God, and I'm going to work in that little nation right over there. And you know what Paul does here in Colossians 2? He says, you need to beware. You know what they're going to use? They're going to use traditions of men. They're going to use fables and endless genealogies, and that's the vehicle. They're going to come along and say, well, we used to do it this way, so we've always done it this way, so it's got to be right. And we have to be on guard. We're to beware. Then he says, after the rudiments of the world, and this one's always been a, a funny one to me, rudiments, basic, fundamental elements, rudiments, not rude as in crude, but rudiments. Here's the rudiments of the world. So look here in chapter 2 of Colossians and look at verse 20. It's, by the way, it's always fascinating. If you don't know something, you know, kind of figure something out, just keep reading because it'll pop up. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, now watch the, watch the question here, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all are to the parish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men. He says, guys, you have been set free in Christ, and you've decided to go right back underneath the rudiments of the world, which are what? Taste not, touch not, handle not. You went right back under a performance-based acceptance system, and you did it willingly. And you did it because you allowed the adversary to move you away from who you are in Christ. You did it because, you know what, we've always done it this way, and it's worked, so it's got to be good. You did it because I know it works, I saw it, I experienced it. It felt good to me. And you slip right into the philosophy game, that thinking game. And Paul says, the basic fundamental operating system of the world is a performance-based acceptance system. If I will just do it right, God will accept me. What did those boys tell Job? What did Job's wife say? Curse God and die. They kept telling Job, Job, do this and you'll be good. Do this. Why didn't you do that, Job? And they bring him all down through there, and at the end, Job goes, I can't, I wish I wasn't even born. I can't do this. That's why God looked at Job in Job 38 and says, Job, you sit here and you answer me 
as a man would answer, where were you when I created? Because the answer is in what I'm doing, not what you're trying to do. Their problem, 2.8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the rudiments of the world, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And that was the problem at Corinth. I'm, I'm sorry, at Colossae. That's the goal of the course of the world. That's the goal of the adversary, is to come along and is to move you away from Christ. When you trusted in Christ, you trusted a message that is so radically different from the world and from human viewpoint. You've become totally radicalized, to use a You're a radical, and the world hates you for it. When he says over there that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, who in their right mind would ever trust a dead Jew that hung on a cross and says he died for everybody? And we really don't know if he, you know, we really know that they just hid his body somewhere. Which, by the way, is what the Lord said they were going to say. You guys are nuts. What do you mean you go to church from 9, nine to noon every day? Right? You're nuts. What do you mean? It's Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. What do you mean? And you know what happens? You buy into it. You say, yeah, you know what? They are a little nuts down there. Rick especially. Oh, my goodness. Let's go camping. Let's go hunting. Let's go fishing. Let's go to the ball game. Let's go do this. Let's go do And the next thing you know, where are, you know what? I haven't been to church in six months. Well, I keep getting these emails from Rick, but I haven't been around in a while. I was just, just telling him to take me off the email. And you know what happens? You just carried away. Paul says you need to beware. And then in verse 9, and we'll stop here and get here now. For in him. And then from verse 9 down through verse 15, we'll get this next time. Paul is going to explain why it is that all we need is who we are in Christ. The simplicity that's in Christ. If the world says you need to do to be accepted, Christ says, I did it so you don't have to, and therefore you are accepted. Just trust me. You see, if you operate in Ephesians 1 and who you are, then when the philosophies come up and the vain deceit comes up, you can just take it for what it is and put it over there and let it be. And then you don't get sucked into the traditions and the rudiments. You say, just sit it right over there. And we'll, so we'll look at 9 to 15 next time. It's a loaded passage, I know. I just want to get you to get the feel of it. What's his strategy? He's going to come along and he's going to spoil you. He's going to use enticing words, which, by the way, lead right into philosophy, don't they? And then he's going to use vain deceit. And he's going to use the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world. He's going to use religion to get it done, to carry it. And it's all not after Christ. And Paul says you need to be aware. You need to be right on schedule. You need to be right on task at every turn. So what happens if you slip up? Get back on task. It's okay. Learn from it. 
you know, get sucked over here. Oh, man, oh, okay, well, let's go, you know, and get back on. It's easy to do. Actually, it's hard to do. It's easy said than done, right? No, it's easy. You just got to, by faith, do it. Okay? Go read Ecclesiastes sometimes if you're bored. Very interesting. I would rather you read Romans to Philemon three times a day. <laughs> okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your Son, for all that you've given to us, for all the blessings, for all the knowledge, for all the wisdom and understanding. And Lord, I just pray that we would stand in it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We're going to stand. We're going to sing.